Hello, Leapers and fellow travelers. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel. I'm your host, Sam. And this week, I had the pleasure of speaking to uh, artist JJ Lindell. JJ's been on the show before, and we had such a wonderful time. I knew that it wouldn't be long before uh, I had him back on. Um, so, so excited about this conversation. And I feel like it, it's really kind of the perfect uh, companion to our earlier conversation where we talked a lot about art, um, and, 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 you know, what artists need. And that's certainly been uh, a strain of the conversation that's been had on this podcast, uh, recently. So, uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this uh, conversation with you because we still talk about art and artists, but we also get a little bit more into the business side of things and certainly address, um, the current strikes and, uh, the streaming model, physical media. We, we go kind of deep on some of that, uh, while also having a great Great time and uh, JJ is charismatic and brilliant and wonderful, um, just a swell human being. And I am so lucky that uh, he keeps coming back. Uh, and, and it won't be the last time. We've already talked uh, about doing something again, which you'll hear towards the end of this episode. Uh, the conversation was exciting for a number of reasons. You know, before we even hit record, JJ had kind of helped to clarify some things that were certainly uh, weighing on the, the podcast um, uh, with how we could talk about a quantum leap and season two uh, and other things that, that we're, you know, excited about, like Star Trek Strange New Worlds um, and, and other things that are currently airing or will soon be airing. So, uh, listen uh, towards the beginning uh, of this conversation for more about that, uh, because again, it, it really helped um, to get that clarity on 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 the topic, um, and I think it'll help listeners as well, um, and hopefully other you know folks out there that are are trying to create something, make something, have these conversations, be a part of these fandoms. Um, and I feel so incredibly lucky to be uh, a part of that in in some small way. So. Um, yeah, just a great time. And I think that it goes without saying, you can see two of his, three of his pieces actually right behind me, uh, two of the uh, prints, poster size prints, and then one of the postcard size uh, prints from Future Boy. Um, just, yeah, check out jjlindell.com uh, slash shop for uh, some just excellent, excellent uh, creative pieces that he's done, not only for Quantum Leap, uh, but there's stuff on there as well for other shows. And as we talk about in our interview right now, if you go over there for the limited time until August 18th. That's 2023. In case you're listening to this in the future or the past, um, you can get all of his season one and season two prints for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, and they're well, well worth checking out. Um, so I'm going to stop talking and I'm just going to kick it right over to this interview um, with JJ Lindell um, and uh, enjoy our, our cold open. Um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time to, to geek out about a lot of things that we love and enjoy while also having uh, what I think were some serious conversations about the current state of things and how that affects art and artists and how uh, art gets produced and made. So huge, huge thank you to JJ and thank you to you for listening and hitting that like, subscribe, uh, leave us a comment, um, you know, shoot, shoot me an email if you want to find us on, on Twitter or threads or TikTok or Facebook or any of those places. Of course, it's just fate's wide wheel. Um, and I look forward to hearing from you. I look forward to talking to you more in the future. Uh, but for now, let's go over to JJ. One quick note, actually, before we get to the interview, fellow travelers, uh, I wanted to let you know that there is a point in the interview, um, you'll get to about the hour 23 mark of this video or podcast, and I say some words about ending and cutting it off because we've just ended on such a great note. I loved what JJ had to say, and I think it's great. It's a perfect place to bow out. 
And then we continued to talk for uh, about half an hour more. <laughs> it, the conversation was just so much fun. And there was there were so many, you know, wonderful things that JJ hits on. And I really just enjoyed it. And I thought about cutting it short. I thought about doing some editing magic and all of that. But at the end of the day, I wanted to give you the the full conversation. Uh, and I thought it was humorous that I tried. I tried to say, you know what? This is a perfect place to stop. We're going to stop. And then we just kept talking. It's so easy to do with somebody like JJ. So I hope you'll forgive us. And uh, I hope you don't mind following along. There's some great stuff uh, after my, uh, my fateful words. And I think that you're going to like it just as much as we did. So stick around and enjoy the full unedited conversation between JJ Lindell and I. And she's out. Uh, that's awesome. She'll just be like, talk, talk like the frog, Patty. Talk like the frog. <laughs> <laughs> So become all of these characters which is fun oh yeah. week i've been cinderella so that's been great um nice i've been ernie jude uh, has, oh, has yeah, discovered I've, sesame I've street spent, so i've spent countless hours as ernie so yeah yes <laughs> and as kermit. i have a kermit puppet that i'll bring out sometimes that oh nice it, I, you it know is what? it it's like but then it's like where's kermit daddy where is oh he? yeah it's like yep uh, can Kermit can't come out right now because I can't be Kermit at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, there's a Doctor Who children's book, and uh, I one of the characters is this little alien character, and uh, it, it's about like this little girl who stumbles into the TARDIS and mm-hmm. she accidentally breaks the TARDIS because she drops a peanut butter sandwich like into the console or whatever. That's and neat. so they're trying, you know, the doctor's trying to fix the TARDIS and she makes friends with this little alien. And uh, naturally, I decided to do a silly little voice for the alien. Mm-hmm. And that became the only voice that Hattie wanted to hear. And in particular, when she was potty training. Amazing. So... Anytime it was time to like go sit on the potty, she would like sit there and be like, be blorp. And I was like, oh boy, you know, and so I'm sitting over there and I'm just sort of like ruining my voice (laughs) because I did this like, you know, this crazy like, I'm blorp, you know, I'm like, it's, oh, oh, Grover is tough. Yeah. It's it's like (laughs) one of her favorites. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, Have you done the, the monster at the end of this book? Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've read that there. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She it, loves it. it. And then there's the, the another monster at the end of the book, which is Grover and Elmo. Elmo. Yeah. We, we, we've not gotten into, we don't have that book. We okay. do have some Elmo books. And she's been exposed mostly to 70s and 80s Sesame Street, where, okay. El, where Elmo's like pre, pretty secondary. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. It's it's right. all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's funny. We did when we started Sesame Street, we started with the newer stuff. And part of the reason why is because it was during the pandemic and they were like doing episodes that actually like had oh, to do relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was kinda like, Oh, you know, we'll we'll watch this. And the other thing is they're like twenty five minutes, you know, they're they're, yeah, they're not short, you know yeah. the yeah, the the long ones uh, that I grew up with. Um, but, uh, and so she was totally into like Elmo and Abby Cadabby and, you know, and, and all those, and, all those, uh, all those newbies, the new, yeah, the exactly. The new ones. Um, but, uh, it's funny because Jude, oddly enough, and I think it has more to do with the stuffed animals that she has, has gravitated towards Bert and Ernie who aren't mm-hmm. featured as much as they, you know, once. Right. Were. Yeah. Um, but it's great for me because like growing up, Bert and Ernie were my favorites too. So right. it's just yes. like, this is great. Like, I got this. I understand my motivation. Right. I know these characters' backstories. <laughs> you've got duckies, you've got pigeons, paper clip collection. Got it. <laughs> Absolutely. 
I, I, I cooed like Bernice at one point in time, the pigeon uh, for yes. those that, that might not oh, know. You, I, I know, you know, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but you don't uh, have to and, tell me about Bernice. Um, <laughs> Jude thought it was the best thing ever. And so now sometimes he will literally ask for Bernice and all it is, is just me going like, oh, oh, you know, it's, it's so silly. Like, yeah, exactly. He thinks it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Uh, awesome. JJ Lindell, welcome to the show. How Hello. are you? <laughs> Our elongated Sesame Street introduction. Um, That's right. We're doing the cold open. Yes. Uh, it's great to be back to chat um, during this this hiatus uh, season yeah. break. Um, yeah. And we're yeah, we're getting close to the end of the summer here, believe it or not. I it's know. Gone, it's flown by. At least for me. It really has. It, it, yeah, for, for me as well. And I'm surprised because when the summer started, you know, when Hattie um, graduated, as they say, from preschool, yes. uh, I, you know, I, and also when the show, you know, aired its finale uh, shortly before that. Graduated I was just sort of like, from oh. season one. As they say. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, the summer, what, what's going to happen over the summer? And, uh, and now it's almost gone. And I'm yeah, sort of, I'm, I'm wondering like, what, what did I do with my summer? Um, <laughs> right. Whose hands are these? Who's, who's yeah. Um, Why are there so many gray hairs in my right. hair? Uh, <laughs> daily. And then I look at my two year old and I'm like, that's it. That's why. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now I remember. Um, totally worth it though. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's been a good summer. It's been busy. Um, but, you know, definitely missing, missing the show, missing, yeah. you know, looking forward to seeing, you know, what the, what the next season holds. But just trying to be patient, doing other things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, there. Well, you know, and speaking of before, before we get to the other things, and even talking a little bit about you know what what we might be hoping for, we we spent you know sorry listeners, we spent a, a good probably half hour plus talking before we hit record, yeah. and you um, educated me on something that I am so grateful for because it had been unclear and recently on uh on threads because you know we're cool like that and we've got the social media accounts everywhere now, not just X. <laughs> There's so um, many. My gosh. Uh, but on th- <laughs> right. about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, but over on threads, I had, I had a listener who uh, mentioned something about, um, you know, Hey, you know, you should talk about the show. You know, if you're not, if you're not on like, a um, the payroll and if you're on the payroll, then you should just, you know, say that you are. And that way there won't be any confusion. And I was like, well, we're definitely not on the payroll. You know, the only, income we've ever generated has been from, from listeners, which is awesome and astounds me. Um, but I still wasn't a hundred percent clear about the guidelines and the, the way that the guidelines had been shared with me and the way that, you know, I had seen other people talking about them. It, it, it felt to me like the right thing to do was to not talk about it because I didn't understand. And I would rather err on the side of, you know, I'd rather try to do the right thing than, than not. And, and when we started talking about it, you made it clear uh, that that might not be the case. So can you kind of explain to us, you know, what these guidelines mean and, and maybe a little bit about, you know, the motivation behind them? Yeah. I mean, so, and again, this is just for me gathering information and my, my, my initial connection to this was through, um, through the art world, through fan art. Cause when, you know, when, when SAG, uh, announced the strike, um, 
they put online a number of guidelines having to do with the strike. And um, people immediately read these guidelines who are not affiliated with SAG-AFRA, who are not union members, who are not actors, who do not earn income from the studio system, and assumed for one reason or another that they applied to them, uh, which isn't the case. Um, so if you're, if you're a fan of a show, as long as you're not drawing income from the, the studios, as long as you're not under contract, as an influencer, that's a word that was touted a lot. Um, yes. If you're online, you have a big following. Well, I'm, a, I'm an influencer. I'm a content creator. Um, SAG is using that term in, to describe folks who are influencers who are under contract from the studios that are being struck. So if you pull a paycheck from the studio and you're continuing to discuss these struck programs, then that's a problem. But if you're not, then it's not because, um, and we were talking about this earlier, the whole point of the strike is for the actors and the, and the writers who are also striking to come up with a fair contract at the end of it. So that, so that they are paid their worth and that all of their issues are, are hopefully addressed and to come back to these shows. Um, and so if fans are abandoning these shows, if they're not willing to talk about them, if they're not willing to uh, make podcasts about them, if they're not willing to create fan art for them, then there's not going to be much to come back to, especially yeah. if this strike manages to last into the fall when these shows begin to air on television. Because the last thing these, you know, writers and actors want are for these shows to air and for folks not to watch or not to discuss them. Um, So, yeah, I think that there was some miscommunication. Again, I think it was really coming from a a place of of wanting to do the right thing, um, of wanting to be on the side of those who are striking and 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 not not scab or anything like that. But um, what those guidelines are referring to are for folks who are a member of the union or who might want to join the union in, in the way that, okay, these actors are striking right now. Hey, you, you want to join SAG? You want to be an actor? You want to be in this show? Come do the show while these folks are on strike and we'll pay you to act. That's what they're referring to. So don't do that. Right. <laughs> that, you know, that, that's something that, you know, if you, if you, if you are working in place of a striking union member, that can get you disqualified from yeah. joining the union in the future. And I think that's what a lot of people were concerned about as well, who have aspirations of, of joining one of these unions in the future. But being contract, being a contact creator in the way that, that a fan artist is, or someone who's, you know, doing a podcast, or really just, just online posting on social media. Right. That, that stuff is is fine. And, uh, you know, and a lot of the folks who are involved in productions have said that it's fine. Um, so that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And it and it certainly confirms, you know, some of the the I think the thoughts that I potentially had um, about. You know, folks certainly on the production side of thing, you know, wanting people to keep talking about it, wanting, you know, people to keep watching, um, you know, not wanting anyone to boycott streaming services or anything like that, that it really was, in essence, you know, one of the best ways that you can support the artists is by watching the shows and talking about the shows and letting, 
you know, the, 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 the corporations um, know how much we want this and we appreciate it and we value it and, and, and that we are willing to, to pay for it. Um, And I'll add, I'll add a a slight caveat there because, um, you know, I create our artwork. Um, I've been doing artwork for, uh, over the summer for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which has been airing its 10 episode season. And right in the middle of the season, the strike started, the, the yeah. SAG strike. And so this is when this discourse online started, which was like, you can't post art for these shows because they're striking. And the website says that you can't promote the shows. Again, the website, which is meant for union members, saying that right. union members can't promote these shows because they're on strike. Um, but I, I did think, you know, there is a bit of a, a bit of a sort of gray area here because if I'm posting artwork for these shows and the actors are striking, so they're not going to be sharing things out and promoting them. Could I be giving free promotion to the studios Mm -hmm. that I don't want to do? So my workaround for that was I created, um, a, uh, a a logo that basically said, I stand with SAG-AFRA and WGA. And so every piece of artwork for a show that's been struck that I've posted since the start of the strike, I have included that logo on. So if they want to post that, if they want to share it out, they can, but they're also sharing out support for the unions that are striking. So that was sort of my, my middle ground uh, solution that I found. I, I think it's lovely. It's it's become you know we we use it uh, as the Fates Wide Wheel image um, on on all of social media right now, and I've seen other people and other fans using it. I know that we have some listeners that use it as well. Um, and I and I just thought it was it was wonderful. It was simple. It was elegant. It was you know and it was the perfect way. I mean, reading your statement about it, it it was funny because as I was reading it, there was in, in, in my mind I'm going like, well, yeah, I mean, you're you're creating art. You're an artist. Like you should be allowed to do that. I don't see any conflict here or whatever. And, and again, with the conversation that we've been able to have, it's clear to me that certainly with what, with what I'm doing, there's, I'm not crossing any picket line, you know, virtual or otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I'm not a union member. And, and, and quite frankly, like, you know, my own acting career aspirations aside or whatever, I, I would rather be able to talk about something that I love, share something about, you know, the show that I love and you know, these shows even that I love and, mm-hmm. and, and do whatever small, and I'm sure it's small part that I can to keep that conversation going so that exactly what you're talking about, you know, that, that doesn't happen that, that come fall when the shows air, if the strikes are still ongoing, that there isn't just crickets in response right. that, that instead we're, we're continuing to have this, you know, discourse about these things that we love because I think that something that sometimes gets lost in these conversations and it's something I've tried to reinforce at every turn is that this is art and, and art deserves to be dialogued about. And, and, you know, we might look at ourselves as fans or whatever, you know, we're, we're an audience and, and, you know, the one thing that art needs almost more than the artist that creates it is an audience without right. the audience. It's, it's nothing. And, right. and so I think that that's important that the audience remains to be able to appreciate this art and, and, and that that's already been created. We know they're not doing anything right now. They can't, nothing's being right. written, nothing's being, you know, put in front of a camera. So what has been created, I think it needs to be appreciated. And knowing specifically when it comes to Quantum Leap, that they were filming episodes with the very real notion that there could be a strike in mind. 
Like they did this on purpose. And this wasn't like, you know, NBC Universal or Comcast or anybody coming and saying like, you have to make this. This was, this was a, you know, judgment call by the production team saying like, Hey, let's do, we've been renewed for season two. Let's keep going. Let's get this, you know, let's, let's, let's keep the creative juices flowing. Let's write this season. Let's, you know, let's go all out and see what we can come up with. And so um, I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to it because I know that this is something that took a lot of love. You know, people right. gave up vacations yeah. basically to keep producing this show. <laughs> right. I, I think that, I mean, we all know by now that the internet is not, a place for nuance and it, <laughs> if it ever was it's not anymore it's you know we have a wide color gambit on our screens but things tend to be very black and white when you go yeah. on social media and um it's funny that you know fans and, and understandably show, so when they love a show there's a sense of ownership there yes. and i think sometimes that can create a blind spot because no matter how passionate you are about a TV series, about watching it, rewatching it, writing, you know, fan fiction about it, creating artwork for it, starting a podcast about it, you're never going to be as passionate about it as the people who are making it. Yes. Because they're pouring their entire heart and soul into creating every episode, every scene, every piece of scenery, every costume, every word that is stated. They are thinking and agonizing and working it out. And it's really easy to be a backseat driver for television, especially for network television, because they're doing, you know, 20, 24 episodes a season. But, you know, with you saying, like, they made a concerted effort to try to finish these episodes in time. Of course they did. Yeah. They are the ones who are most invested in the show um, and will remain to be even if they can't discuss it publicly because they are holding out for a better contract, which obviously is, it's more important than any television show, no matter how passionate you are about it, because these are these people's lives. Yeah. And if you are paying attention to what's going on, it's not even just about the people who are working now. It's about the people who want to be working in a couple of years. It's yeah. about the next generation of writers and actors and whether or not they're going to be able to make a living doing this thing. I think like 87% of actors make less than $26,000 a year uh, yeah. acting uh, SAG members. Um, that's a lot of actors who are not going to be able to make ends meet, especially in a place like Los Angeles. Right. So, you know, they, these, these writers are passionate about these shows. They want us to talk about them. Um, but, you know, they need to keep their eye on the ball about their industry. And I'll say this, uh, Sam, you know, talking about like, um, not, not wanting to go silent when these shows come back, if the strike is still going on versus, um, you know, so solidarity, those things aren't mutually exclusive in the sense that there's a way to talk about these shows and also champion what these unions are trying to do. Absolutely. And, and that I think is a lot more important than staying quiet because, yep. because you don't want to you know, promote something that's, that's being struck. I think it's going to mean a lot more if you can sort of blow the whistle and say, right. Hey, here's a show that we love. And you want to know why it's not in production right now. This is why, and this is why it's important. And this is why yes. we need to do everything we can as non-union members. And as just people who, who love the show to support right. what's happening. And because again, 
if enough, if enough actors and writers support what they want and enough of the audience supports what they want, then that's going to be a, a better recipe for success for getting a good tr- contract. My two cents. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with everything you said. And I thank you for saying it because I think that that's, I mean, that's part of the nuance and bringing it to bear on, on what we're talking about is being able to talk about the show, champion the show, want the show to do well, while also being able to understand that the people that create the show, you know, need to be treated better. And, and, and it's one of the reasons too, why, while, you know, last week when I was talking about the circumstances that helped to create the situation that led to the strikes, I, I think it's important to, to understand what happened, especially with, you know, with Viacom and Disney and, and, and Comcast, and also being able to understand that there is a separation when it comes to talking about like Viacom or Comcast versus talking about NBC or Paramount or, you, you know, because the studios in general, you know, they want to be back to work. You know what I mean? Like they Absolutely. want to, you know, they're not, n- nobody who works in any of these studios is out there crowing about, Hey, we saved a hundred million dollars last month because we weren't doing anything. It's like, why, why would you even like, why would you celebrate that? <laughs> and, and so the, the, the notion that you have, you, you know, the situation where they've sacrificed sources of income in order to yeah. jump onto the streaming train and realize that the churn rate is high enough that they're not going to be able to continue crowing about all the money that they're making. Unfortunately, they decided that the best way to keep things going was to try to kind of screw the people that are creating what they're pushing. And it's like, why? Why would you do that? Especially when, you know, you're you're talking about this extra $250 million that you made because of, of XYZ, and you know that that $250 million isn't going to be there six months from now because... Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we could talk, we could, I think you and I could probably talk for a very, very long time about the, the current streaming model um, yeah. and how it's never made sense. But you know, for the last 10 years, we've all just sort of been like, I this, I guess they're making money somehow. I guess right. this is, I guess this is profitable because they're doing it. Um, when in actuality, the system that existed prior to streaming on, on network television and on most of cable was you made TV shows and during the TV shows, you aired commercials and you, and you charged companies money to air their commercials. The more popular the show, the more viewership there was, the more money you could charge them. So it created an incentive. We make really good shows that people like, then a lot of people are going to watch them and they're going to watch the commercials and maybe buy stuff. So we can charge companies a lot of money. That was it. That's TV. Um, (laughs) And, and add to that, that not only when you, you know, when you were done airing said TV show on your network, then you could sell the syndication rights to somebody else and make money off of that. (laughs) So let's talk about that. All right. We, we want to be able to syndicate our show. Uh, How many episodes do we need to do that? 100. Okay. Well, if we make 20, 25 episodes a season, if we can get this thing to last four or five years, we can syndicate it. Well, great. Okay, so we'll do about two dozen episodes a season. Streaming comes along, and really a little bit prior to streaming because, uh, you know, prestige cable shows started cutting episode orders. Right. Now, okay, we're going to make 13 episodes a season, 10 episodes a season, 
eight episodes a season, six episodes a season. Um, why, why is everybody, what's this churn rate about? Like, why won't they stay signed on to our service longer? Well, you either drop every episode you've spent two years producing in a day and people watch it over a weekend or you release them weekly, but you only release them for six to 10 weeks and then they cancel the service until the next season. Guys, it's not rocket science here. (laughs) Right. Right. It's, you know, and it's so funny because you, you see the, the struggles that, you know, Warner discovery has had with HBO max already. And, and, and even before it was Warner discovery, there were struggles with, you know, when, when game of Thrones ended and, 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 and you look at what's, um, you know, what's, what's happened with Disney plus and, and what they're experiencing every time, you know, a star Wars show ends or, you know, you know, a Marvel show ends or, or whatever. And, 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 and there's been diminishing returns too, because frankly, fans have not enjoyed all of those shows sure. um, for, for various reasons, some of which I think are ridiculous and, and others, which I'm sort of like, eh, I kind of see your point, but uh, Paramount, Plus recently held uh, or had some sort of, I, I don't know if it was an earnings call or what it was. It was an but, investor's uh, call. It was a quarterly investor's, investor's call. call. Yeah. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that they really championed were their franchises and Star Trek in particular and how they had seen less churn because of the way that they had been able to sort of basically keep a Star Trek show on, all the time. So you were, you know, 52 weeks out of the year, you were getting Star Trek and that fandom in particular was basically helping to support the service. Um, and not, not just Star Trek, but I think that that was the one that they were kind of championing. Well, there have been three Paramount plus shows that have broken into the top 10 list of streaming in the entire existence of Paramount plus or CBS all access, which was known as before Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and um, I'm going to get the year wrong, but it's one of the oh. Tyler Sheridan Yellowstone sequels. Yellowstone shows, yeah. Um, so two out of the three are, are Star Trek shows. So I believe the term that they used on the investor's call was super serve our, our fandom. Yes. Um, yes. Which basically I think what they were saying is we're looking at statistics, we're looking at demographics, we're looking at who's watching what, when, and how often, and – we think that we have keyed in on a specific demographic that we can super serve to try and keep them engaged. But I will say this, they didn't mention Star Trek on the call, but it's very clear that Star Trek is one of these larger franchises that, that they've invested in. But the only two things that they've done this, this year um, has been cancel Star Trek discovery and remove Star Trek prodigy from the service completely to shop it around hopefully to another third party. So there is, for me, there's a a bit of a, uh, it's not a very coherent strategy because you're, you're sort of taking some Star Trek away, but you're saying we want to super serve the things that work. So we'll see what happens. It's, it's, this could just be the folks. I hope it's the folks who are maybe creatively involved yeah. In these shows trying to recalibrate in a way where they can sort of better serve the fandom as a whole and that this isn't the idea of what well, this is what we want to do but we're also cost cutting and everybody who's making these decisions has nothing to do with the people actually trying to craft this franchise but i don't know right. i will tell <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I, you're absolutely right. And obviously, this is a, like you said, this is a discussion that we could clearly, you know, keep keep yeah. having. But at the at the, at the risk of running that into the ground, um, <laughs> you know, and talking about Star Trek, um, that's a really cool shirt you're wearing. Oh, hey, thank you. Here, I'll <laughs> there look at it. So there you are. Yes. So um, right now, there's one of these, and I'm wearing it. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> this is adapted from. Uh, the uh, episode poster that I created for the second season premiere, uh, The Broken Circle. Um, and I'll take the opportunity to mention that um, I've created 20 designs for Star Trek Strange New Worlds, one for every episode of season one and two. And if you are interested in any designs, if you've seen them online, I'm doing a very limited uh, timed release. You can order any of those prints right now via my shop. Um, from now until next Friday, August 18th. So if anybody's interested in any of my Star Trek Strange New Worlds designs, you can get them until then at jjlendl.com slash shop. And after I do the prints, I will be making some of these t-shirts available in the shop pretty soon. Nice. I'm waiting so that I have less things to do at one time. <laughs> that is completely understandable because uh, I have a feeling that you're going to have a lot of orders on your hands. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's so funny because um, I don't generally um, make because you know a lot of my Star Trek stuff isn't official. I don't I don't always make it available. But for the last couple of seasons that have aired, there has been such a huge response, primarily yeah. from the production from, from cast and crew who, you know, I get messages. I'd love to get a print. I'd love to get a print for my office. And, and it's first of all, amazing, flattering. And I've, I've had that, you know, that wonderful experience with the folks behind quantum leap as well. Um, and so it's, I mean, I feel like, you know, hopefully I'm not stepping on anybody's toes by having them available for, for the next week, just so people can, can get what they want. Um, and there's not a lot of Star Trek prints out there. (laughs) Anyway, right. certainly not anything for for Strange New Worlds or, or for Picard. So um, I'm, I'm glad that I can, you know, I, I love making them. Um, I love the shows. Uh, very passionate about um, about Star Trek. Very passionate about Quantum Leap, obviously. So it's really cool that I can share that. And, and again, like, I'm looking at your feed here, Sam, and I see, <laughs> I see my work behind you. And, you know, yeah. it's so amazing to be able to connect with fellow fans that way, too. It's just such an honor to... You know, you're basically inviting yeah. inviting me into your media room here, which uh, I'm very grateful. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously the way that we connected was because of how awesome I thought your work was. And, 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 and it was, you know, that gave the opportunity to kind of like start this dialogue. And it's funny because I, I, I feel like, you know, not only did we do the the podcast, which I still, it's one of my favorite conversations that, that I think I've ever had on the podcast. Some of the stuff that we hit on about art and, and, and just, you know, and, and, and being able to have that dialogue and, and also of course, talk about this thing that, that, that we love so much um, was, was so much fun. And, and so it was this wonderful thing that I really love this person's art. And now I know that they're really cool and uh, you know, just a good human and that makes it even better. Um, but there was it's no doubt. Fun. <laughs> um, that's very kind of you to say. I would say the same thing about you because, you know, I, um, listened to the, to the podcast and just being really impressed with what you guys have been able to do and particularly pivot your show, which, and you, you and I have talked about this, which was, which was aimed at a TV series that had been off the air for decades. Yeah. And, and then suddenly you find yourself 
And I've been there too. Like you find yourself at the apex of this, you find yourself in this moment and it's like, it's a sink or swim. It's like, what do we do? Do we take advantage of this opportunity? And you, you just, you did it. And I just, it's, (laughs) it's so cool to see, you know, the years of, of work that you've done pay off in this new way to sort of like bring this show, frankly, to, to another level where, where you're interviewing, you know, cast and crew of the series, you're talking with showrunners, you're, you know, you are basically, and, and I think we'll talk about this too. You and I have mounds of physical media behind <laughs> us, but right. in a world where there are few, you know, special features for film and television have become few and far between. Yeah. You're doing the work every yeah. week. You are creating additional content for fans to absorb directly uh, with the creators of the show. It's the kind of stuff that you would usually find on on a, a, a home video release. Right. Um, but you're doing it yourself, and that's it's just incredible. It's just kudos. I'm I'm so, you know. But, oh shucks! I, you Thank you. If you're not watching the video feed, we're <laughs> not worthy. Um, it's no, well, I, I really appreciate that. And, and, and you are worthy. And, uh, I, I think that it's, it's one of those things that I, I've certainly, I was disappointed on one hand that there, you know, that there weren't special features on the, the quantum leap season one, um, Blu-ray. Um, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to get yeah, it here. Go for it. Um, and, uh, I, and I, I just thought that that was really too bad, but then I did think about, and I mentioned this, you know, in, in, in my kind of review of it. I was like, well, with everything that, you know, Fate's Wide Wheel and the Quantum Leap um, uh, podcast have done over this past year, it's the, the stuff is there, right? Like, it's yeah. just, it's, it's there. Um, I, I, I do wish, though, that we, we, you know, that we were getting a little bit more because um, I look at Strange New Worlds season mm-hmm. one, um, which, mm-hmm. which actually I have the beautiful steel book here i just oh, man. got this See, the other day i have the regular edition where is it all right you just hold up the steel book. Yours is <laughs> that's the one um, kind of horse right yeah yeah, yeah. Nice. it's real i mean it, yeah it's very nice i it's so funny i used to kind of scoff at steel books and then i just so happened to like get a couple on sale and now i'm sort of like well fine like looks if nice i really like uniform, it you know shiny. Right? Yes. Yeah, no, um but the nice thing the nice thing about that is like stranger world you know you've got featurettes a gag reel deleted scenes audio commentaries mm-hmm. and so you know especially knowing that there is this interest however you know small it might be when we had deborah proud on the show you know she talked about like why can't quantum leap be you know some sort of franchise you know be be akin mm-hmm. to star trek and i think that for me there there needs to be this element of i know that the people involved with creating the show are taking it seriously in that manner mm-hmm. now the people that are distributing the show i think need to do that and and physical media plays a big part in that in my opinion yeah and um i, I totally agree and i'll, I'll share my perspective yeah. which is much sadder. Are you ready? <laughs> I am. Go for it. <laughs> I'm, I was shocked when this was announced at all. Yeah. Um, and so when, when they announced it, as soon as they announced it, I assumed there would be no special features. I was just hoping that there weren't any issues with it. Um, <laughs> you know, this, this more and more, these kind of releases are sort of done via third party. Um, and this, this one was, it was, um, they're press discs, which is great. 
Um, but they are, they're manufactured on demand. Um, mm. and why do we do that? Because we save money doing that. Right. Um, and so, uh, if you're wondering, so when, when this came out, I, I had posted on, um, the, uh, app formerly known as Twitter, uh, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I had gotten it. And I, what I wanted to let people know was that it was region free, um, or zone right. free for a Blu-ray. Um, but the reason why I got mine a little bit before other people did is because I ordered it directly from the manufacturer. Oh, um, wow. And so a little little trick there. Um, if there is a release like this, which is manufactured MOD, mm -hmm. um, if you're ordering from Amazon, Amazon's ordering from the manufacturer. So right. they're going to order a bulk from the manufacturer, get it into their warehouse, and then ship out. But if you order directly from the manufacturer, they'll send yours out when they send Amazon theirs <laughs> before they send it out to you. Yeah. Um, so moviezing.com is the uh, distribution wing of the, the main disc manufacturer for most of the studio shows. So if you head to that website, it's a very um, quaint website, uh, <laughs> but it's legit. Um, you'll be able to, to usually score these releases a couple days before you would uh, going through the regular uh, distributors like Amazon or or any other places that'll pick them up. So little. that's fascinating. I'm so glad to learn that. I, you know, I mean, obviously like I consider myself somebody who loves and appreciates physical media, but, uh, but there's, there's a lot I have to learn. Um, well, you're, you're a sane <laughs> human being. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Sometimes when, sometimes when my wife walks down here, she doesn't necessarily think so, but. Well, you uh, need, well, just point her at me and say, he was talking about, <laughs> they make discs and stuff. That guy's crazy. I'm normal. Yeah. This is normal. Um, but, but I will, but I will say that, you know, and again, I, you and I were sort of talking about this before, but all the stuff going on with the strike, um, with the studios, all, all of this is connected. It's, it's, it's about yes. cost saving. Um, and so the studios are looking to save costs any way that they can. Um, sometimes that has to do with taking work that you would do in house and getting third party companies to do it at, at a lesser price and, and usually at a, at a lesser standard, unfortunately, right. That's sort of where the, the, the cost cutting comes from or just cutting things out completely. Um, right. so I think that, um, Bill Hunt, who runs the, uh, digital bits website, he's oh, been, yeah. he's been covering physical media since like 1997 or 98, um, okay. at the, the birth of, of DVD. And, um, he's got a lot of, uh, contacts in the industry and he, he recently wrote, um, a piece for the website that talked about sort of the state of physical media right now when it comes to the major studios. And, um, he called out <laughs> somewhat veiled, um, but he called out a couple studios in particular who were very clearly phoning it in when it came yeah. to their, uh, physical media releases. And, um, but he also talked about the fact that the folks who, who are actually creating this stuff, um, as is often the case. I mean, they're not the ones to blame. They're not the ones that they, they want to do this stuff. They want to come out with right. the best releases possible, but they're only given so, so many resources. They're only given so big of a budget, you know, 
these teams have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years of professionals who are in charge of doing this stuff. Um, the silver lining right now um, is that studios are becoming uh, a, a little bit more comfortable uh, letting third-party companies release their their film and, and, and television on disc. Yes. And so then you've got some of these really cool labels like Criterion in the mm -hmm. United States, uh, Kino, yep. um, who are licensing all of these films and a lot of them classic films who have not necessarily been treated very well in home media. And they're releasing them in, you know, 4K Ultra HD. Yeah. They're producing commentaries and special features. They're working with the filmmakers to make sure that they are exhibited in, you know, the highest quality and the way that they're meant to look. Um, and so I would say that's, that's a silver lining when it comes to these really cool sort of independent um, uh, video companies who are sort of stepping up where the studios have sort of stepped back. Um, yeah. So if, if you're into physical media, if you like knowing that, you have a film or a television show that is not going to be suddenly pulled from a streaming platform. <laughs> or if you just like to make sure that you're, you're watching that film or that television show at the highest quality that you can, which if you're watching it on streaming, you're not. Right. Um, then my suggestion is support some of these smaller companies who are producing things. And there's companies here in the United States there's companies overseas, and the best thing that I ever did years ago was that I bought a region-free Blu-ray player. Oh, that's yeah, because that opens up the world to you. Because um, there's going to be a lot of releases that won't come out in the United States, yeah. but they might come out in other territories. But your you know run-of-the-mill player won't be able to play them. Um, right. Now with Ultra HD, it's great because there's no region blocking on those. They'll any any disc around the world that's uh, 4K will play anywhere. But for Blu-rays, there's really great stuff coming out of places like um, Eureka out of the UK and um, uh, Indicator Powerhouse yeah. and just a, a ton of really great companies. And you can see some of the releases behind me here. Um, to say nothing of what the BBC is doing with classic Doctor Who right now. I am extremely jealous because <laughs> one of the things that I did not do, unfortunately, is I did not invest in a region-free mm. Blu-ray player. Um, yeah. I, uh, I have a region-free DVD player, so yeah. I have al almost my entire classic Doctor Who collection uh, are the, the UK releases, not yeah. the, the US releases. But when it came to the Blu-rays, all of mine are the US releases. And I've talked to Matt Dale about this before, too, because the UK releases as you can see, if you, you know, if, if you're comparing, look a heck of a lot better than the U S releases. <laughs> I'll, I'll pull one here. Yeah. There's these, these beautiful box sets. The, 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 the artwork is the same on the front, but right. you've got these nice custom made, um, basically, uh, digi books, yep. which they've got custom art in here, which, which is beautifully done. And I'm, blanking on the name of the artist who works on these, but he's, he's on Twitter. He's very talented. And then you can sort of open up this flap here. There's always a TARDIS here. And then mm -hmm. it opens up into this multifold, which then has 
the booklet, which has tons, tons of information about the making of the season. Um, to say nothing of all the special features that are on the discs. And yeah. as every uh, physical media aficionado knows, one of the biggest frustrations with upgrading to uh, a new quality disc, like from DVD to Blu-ray or from Blu-ray to 4K, is sometimes those special features don't migrate over to the, the next upgrade. But these have everything that was released on the old DVD range, which you see behind me as well. So it's really, yeah. these are, the, it's not going to get any better than this. This is, they're not going to have to release the show again. Right. <laughs> one, one right. because most of it was shot on, on uh, video. Video tape, and yeah. Millimeter <laughs> film. So it can't, it's not going to look a lot better than it does now. Um, right. It's yeah, I mean it, it it's a shame and I and I get it. Again, you know, it comes down to money like we were talking about earlier, but those I mean they they are they're so beautiful and um I I I we do not get that over here enough, quite frankly. And, and, and especially from the larger time, yeah. studios. Right. And I mean mm-hmm. there are some exceptions. There's some exceptions like the um the Godfather 50th anniversary 4K box set. That is beautiful. I mean, it comes it with is. this beautiful book with amazing photography and, and, and essays. And then, of course, the discs themselves are just, you know, impeccable. And the special features that are included are fantastic. Um, but I have but, a beef with that set. I have a little tiny beef with ooh, that set. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Um, the, so my, my beef is tiny. And it's because <laughs> it is a really great set. And I don't, I'm not one of those people that's like, yeah, it's good, but except for this. Right, but I kitchen in the that, fire. <laughs> yeah, it's right, exactly. Um, and I have that set, and it's great, and the films look fabulous, and they were in need of of a fresh restoration. And I'm really yeah. glad that you know they Coppola went in and he went through, and to say nothing of recutting the third film, uh, right, for that set for his his Coda version. But um, in the '80s, you you may be aware of this. Um, I can't remember what fi- I, I, he was trying to. Uh, Cop- Francis Ford Coppola, who directed the Godfather trilogy, he was trying to finance Apocalypse Now, mm-hmm. um, his other great masterpiece of that era, and he was running out of money because it was kind of a money pit. That production yeah. <laughs> shooting in the jungle and um, your star has a heart Randall attack and, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so he was approached by one of the television networks about doing a TV version of the Godfather. Yeah. Um, and this TV version was very novel in the sense that, you know, if you've seen the Godfather movies, you know, that, um, there's a lot of jumping around of the timeline, particularly in the second film, because you're technically telling two stories. You're telling the story of young Vito Corleone, uh, played by Robert De Niro, um, and his rise to, to, uh, to, to Godfather status. But then also the fall of of his son Michael, played by by Al Pacino. What they did, what they what they got Francis Ford Coppola to do, <laughs> was to recut those movies chronologically. Yeah. So that the film opens with uh, young Vito fleeing Sicily and for Alice Island, um, and then the entire film plays chronologically, um, which is like. Why, why would you, why would you do that? (laughs) What's cool about it is that, and part of why they paid him to do it is that he took a lot of deleted scenes that aren't in the original films and plugged them back in chronologically to where they belong. So there are some pieces of the Godfather you, you can only see uh, on this 
edit this multi-film edit. Um, and so it seemed to me like that was a natural special feature to include. Um, but it didn't make the disc, unfortunately. So that's my one little, little squabble, but that is understandable. (laughs) If you're crazy, you have the laser disc version. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so, you know, uh, sometimes I'll, if I want to, and this is a cool set, you know, they used to do it. So this, this whole, you know, they've got this whole booklet about the behind the scenes making, they call it the Godfather trilogy and it's 1901 to 1980. It's over a number of these. Do you think, do you think everybody in the audience knows what a laser disc is? Should I introduce what? I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there are some that don't, you should totally, you should totally introduce. So in the eighties, um, there were, there were, well, I guess technically three main home video formats that were sort of on the rise. Um, there was VHS, which ended up winning the day. There was beta, which was another type of VHS tape, but then there was Laserdisc, which was basically a DVD, the size of a vinyl record. Um, <laughs> and, uh, What's interesting about Laserdisc is that it is higher quality than VHS. Um, It is a lot closer to DVD quality, even though it it debuted uh, well before DVD. Um, But VHS won out because I think it was smaller, and I think that it was less costly to to actually make. So yeah, it's funny because Betamax was actually higher quality than VHS as well, but for similar reasons. The the VHS was not only was the VHS cheaper, but the play the VCRs were actually cheaper to produce than Betamax players were. Yes, um, and they were still incredibly expensive. It would cost a yeah. hundred dollars to buy VHS in the right. mid eighties, um, and then down to fifty, and then finally now you can twenty buy bucks them at local <laughs> thrift store for fifty cents. Um, but uh, yeah, I I um I have a handful of laser discs, uh, mostly stuff that hasn't migrated to to DVD or Blu-ray. Um, yeah. thankfully that list is getting shorter. I was able to retire my, um, my, uh, TV edit of uh, star Trek, the motion picture, which I had on Laserdisc um, because it was included on this phenomenal yeah. set, which just came out, uh, over the holiday, yep. uh, last year, um, which includes three different cuts of star Trek, the motion picture, the theatrical, the TV cut, and then the director's cut, which was restored to 4K because it, were, it was originally produced for standard def. Yeah. But they went in and they redid all that stuff. And and I will just say, if you have not seen the Enterprise reveal, you know, when when Mr. Yes. Scott and, and, and Kurt go around the Enterprise in 4K, like yeah. you have not seen the Enterprise because it is, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is stunning. I yes. mean, just an, and the first time I watched it, uh, I was actually watching it on my PlayStation Five because uh, I had yet to upgrade to to my Panasonic um, yes. 4K player, the and 4K, and, yeah. and 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 even that is a difference, you know. Nothing against the PS Five, but being able to see it like in the Dolby Vision and being able to like it is, I mean, it's just stunning. It's absolutely stunning, right? And and it's um, you know, talk about creators, talk about you know, um, the folks making these films they they want you to see them as they're intended yeah. um and so we are very fortunate um 
you know, if you're, if you're my age, if you're in your thirties, you remember, um, and we didn't have a, v, a VCR for, for most of my childhood. Um, mm. we weren't at that, you know, socioeconomic status. And, um, so we would catch stuff on TV and we would, we would see stuff at the theater. When we got a VCR, it, you know, changed our life because we could, we could record things. Um, yeah. I used to record stuff on an audio tape so that I could re-listen to it mm. from TV, mm-hmm. um, before we got that. Um, but now we, we have all this access. Of course, we probably have too much access, uh, for sure. Because <laughs> we just, have I all mean, these we have so much access that I own this now, you know what I mean? Uh, like <laughs> this thing is awesome. This is when you were mentioning boutique labels, one that, that we left out is vinegar syndrome, yes, which is funny vinegar because syndrome. vinegar syndrome, they got their start basically doing like, you know, trashy adult films from the late seventies and early eighties, mm-hmm. but they've pivoted recently. Uh, I'm mean, not recently. They, they started bringing in other stuff, you know, pretty quickly, but, yeah. but recently, recently they've started doing some, some bigger titles, you know, and yes. like even the roadhouse that's behind me, um, which I don't care what anybody says. I love that movie. Uh, and that box Crazy. set is gorgeous, um, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the work that some of these, these, you know, third party companies are doing is, is incredible. It shows that there are audiences for this stuff because these yes. companies are making it work. Um, right. th- they are smaller editions that I think the problem, or maybe I shouldn't say the problem, it is a problem, but the disconnect is studios are, are money-making businesses. And I'm not knocking that. I mean, right. they're, they're businesses. But the problem is when you become so obsessed with profit over content that you will only take on things that, that are going to make you a substantial amount of profit. Yeah. And so you start to really pigeonhole yourself as a, as a company as to what you'll actually take on. I mean, that's the reason why most films that we see are, are sequels or remakes right. because they're safer bets. We know that there's an audience for this IP. We know that they've come out to support films like this before. And so it's a safer bet. So, we'll go, we'll green light this as opposed to something that might be a more meager success possibly, or, you know, look at, look at Barbie and, you know, Oppenheimer. Um, It's not the perfect example because Barbie is a longstanding popular IP, but it, but it's not necessarily a blockbuster IP that you think would be cracking a billion dollars within a couple of weeks at the global box office. Right. And then Oppenheimer is a, you know, three hour movie about a scientist in the 1940s. So, um, you know, uh, it's a Christopher Nolan film and that, that carries a a lot of, of leverage, but somebody, you know, somebody in a room with Christopher Nolan said, yeah, we'll green light your Oppenheimer movie. Um, and they could have easily said, Hey, you know, it'd be great if you did something more like Batman. Could you do another (laughs) Batman? (laughs) <laughs> um, that's mostly how those conversations seem to be going. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, the studios have sort of put themselves in a situation where they can't take this stuff on because they're really trying to maximize their profits on anything that they do. Yep. And, um, and I think that that sort of answers our question for this. It's like, Hey, we could spend some money putting together some mini docs or, you know, having a couple of the cast members or the writers come in and record, um, a handful of commentary tracks, but it's not going to make us the kind of money that, that we're sort of in the business for now. 
to say nothing of the fact that, you know, they didn't, you can't find this in stores, you know, this is only available online. Um, so it, 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 it does limit the kind, the kind of, uh, risks that these studios will take risks. But at the end of the day, it really just limits what consumers have access to. And, th- and that's unfortunate. Yes. And it cannot go on like that forever if these studios want to continue to be profitable. <laughs> right. I No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, you know, a great example for, for me personally, anyway, it, it, and it dissuaded me, quite frankly, from making a purchase. And, and I, and I wish that there were more stories like, I mean, I know that there are, but I wish that some, the right people were hearing these stories. The Americans is probably one of my favorite TV shows of the past 20 years. Like I, mm-hmm. I just think the Americans is fantastic. Um, I remember Around the time I think the second, or no, it was, it was around the time the third season came out. I wanted to own the series, you know, because mm-hmm. it wasn't at that particular point in time. It was not. It was not as it was not as accessible as most shows are today with streaming and everything. Right. And so that was, and plus that was an FX media, series. Was, right? was that on FX? Yep, that was on FX. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so I was like, well, I want to, you know, I want to own this. And I found the first season on Blu-ray. I couldn't find the second season. I was like, where's the second season? I found the DVD. And then I come to find out they weren't making Blu-rays of, of yeah. the show. So the first season has a Blu-ray. None of the other seasons do. Mm-hmm. And it's like you have this incredible award-winning show that, you know, got a ton of acclaim, especially from, you know, a lot of people in the industry even. Um, and, and I can remember, you know, following Bob Falls, who's the former artistic director of the Goodman Theater. Um, and, uh, or, well, wait, still artistic director. He's he won't be after this season. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, point we'll is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you're putting too much faith in me. Um, but but you know the thing is is like I can remember following him and 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 he was you know just raving about the show, which is one of the things that kind of instigated me to watching it. And I was just so disappointed that um, you know here you have you know Tony Award winners and 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 you know the show is winning awards and you have this incredible cast, this incredible smart writing. And how sad is it that I cannot own this show in a format that is going to best, you know, reproduce and not even reproduce, but better what I saw on television. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing that I think that you, that you hit on earlier that people don't understand sometimes. Another great show, which has Matthew Rice in common with it, was Perry Mason on HBO Max. I mm-hmm. was livid, quite frankly, when I found out they canceled it. It made no sense to me. And when I read that basically the reason why they canceled it is because they didn't want to pay the money it costs to produce the show because it's an expensive show to produce mm-hmm. for my money. It's one of the best looking shows they have ever produced. Like the show looks beautiful and to realize that we will never get that show on 4k mm-hmm. breaks my heart because that show as good as it looks streaming on HBO max would look even better on a 4k disc. It would yeah. sound even better on a 4K disc. And the fact that that's not going to happen, it's, you know, it really is, it's sad to me because there are, I mean, it's a work of art and these people are working so hard. And, you know, to take it back to Star Trek for a moment, the amount of work and effort that went into creating that enterprise, that went into creating these practical makeup effects that they used, that at the time, you know, when you see it on a big screen in, you know, in 70 millimeter or, or whatever, yeah, like that is whoa, you know, yeah. but every other release on home video or television, you know, release that you were seeing after that, it didn't really matter, right? This is an opportunity to appreciate the work that these people have done in a way that you 
really can't do unless you are sitting, you know, watching this on a, on a huge, you know, movie screen. And even then, depending on the print that they're screening, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. So right. on a 4K disc, being able to appreciate the work that went into producing these shows, the artistry that went into these special effects, it's just a shame that it's not appreciated more and that you don't find, um, Unless it is, you know, luckily Star Trek does get that release and, and some of these, you know, mm -hmm. other films that, that are, are, are getting those releases from Criterion or Kino or, or, or whatnot. It's, it's just a, such a shame that, um, there's not more support for it. And I think that with where streaming services are finding themselves right now, not to go back to our earlier conversation and the great potential for some of these services not existing a few years from now, like that's a reality. Like the Absolutely. reality is, is that some of these services are not going to be there. And all of this content, this embarrassment of riches that we have right now will not be there. That investing in physical media, and it really is an investment in a way, it, it, it is a way to not only show your passion, but also to ensure that we get high quality representations of this artwork right. from the people that are, that are making it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot there. Um, I, I totally agree. It's, I think it's part of the big disconnect between the people who actually put their blood, sweat, and tears into making these television shows and the people who make the kind of decisions that we're talking about. You know, yeah. how it's going to be. Of course, every single person involved with those shows, they want to see it on disc. They want to see it at the highest quality. They want to see a lot of support, publicity, promotion, for those releases, um, it has, has nothing to do with their day-to-day -day job. Um, and at some point someone, or maybe, you know, a number of people at the same time said, Hey, if we keep releasing all this stuff on, on DVD, then it's, it's going to affect people keeping their subscri subscriptions for, <laughs> for our, for our streaming service. So we can't do that. Um, so now we're in a situation where you have to keep the subscription to have access to certain shows, but then the shows can also suddenly disappear now, sometimes yep. for tax purposes. Yeah. Um, and when, when they take the shows away for that, that reason, they may never resurface again, um, which, which is incredible. I mean, that's a whole other level of disrespect to the artistry involved in this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, when when that was announced that they were taking a bunch of stuff off Max for that expressed reason, that I think was probably like I hope that was a wake up call for for a lot of folks as to what yeah. the and I think and I think that those kind of decisions were directly connected with the strikes. Absolutely, you know those, those kind of things happening, um, and uh, certainly certainly all the streaming and and the royalties that are connected to that, but you're taking projects and you're trashing them. Like there's, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole movie with Michael Keaton as Batman that is in a trash can somewhere Yeah, because, because Warner brothers wanted to save a buck. It's crazy. Yep. Um, <laughs> It's well, and the other thing, the other thing too, that gets, that gets me about that is that there were these people that were, that were saying that they had seen portions of the movie or whatever, and that it was bad. And then you had, you had a couple of people come out and say, that's simply untrue. Like the, well, the movie, yeah, you, know. you know, you're going to spin it right the way that you can. But as we've learned over the last couple of months, these folks are not really great at that. No. Um, 
<laughs> so, you know, who would have thought you need to have a capable writer to do a to do a good spin uh, of your story? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but I mean, no, I'm I'm totally with you there. I, I think that you know, you talk about how beautiful, and I, I haven't had a chance to see Perry Mason, but I've heard very good things about it. Yeah. Um, part of I think what the studios have done again to shoot themselves in the foot a little bit here is that they have poured a lot of money into these shows, mm-hmm. which is really great from a production standpoint. But look, look at Indiana Jones five, which um, has basically ended its theatrical run at a loss. Yeah. Uh, and part of the reason it was at a loss is because they spent $300 million to make a movie. Um, and I don't care how successful your movie is, unless it's avatar successful, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be making much of a profit because you have spent an astronomical sum to make a movie. Yeah. Um, and so I just feel like to a certain extent, sometimes I'm just like, can these folks do math? Like, right. You, <laughs> well, and you I know. think that the other thing is too, and, and, and this is no disrespect to the people involved, obviously in the creation of, you know, dial of destiny, but the, when you start throwing that much money into something, I feel like it also potentially takes away some of the ingenuity. The- it's possible. And, and you know what? I know a lot of that money was spent in part uh, because of COVID um, mm. and, and in order to make sure that the set was uh, safe for everybody involved, which apparently is, is costly. Mm. Um, you know, we, we've lived through a, and, and, you know, one of a once in a generation event here, which I think yeah. a lot of us have not really processed. No. Um, and I think a lot of industries have not really processed. And, Absolutely. Um, and, and I think a lot of films that came out this summer were delayed and hindered by COVID and ended up pouring a lot of money into the production to just finish. And it's, you know, unfortunately for the studios, it's made this entire situation worse for them because they are not negotiating with these striking writers and actors. And they've also got a slate of films that are way over budget and are underperforming at the box office for the most part. So it's almost a perfect storm. Um, Largely made by themselves, but a perfect storm nonetheless. Um, So, I mean, maybe a silver lining is, you know, that they're going to need to add some more projects to their release calendar here. It's not going to happen if you don't have writers to write them and and actors to act in them. That's right. Um, so maybe uh, some of these returns will help get them back to the table faster. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there was the report earlier that came out that they were going to, you know, the WGA was going back to the negotiating table, I believe. Was it Monday uh, or something like that? Um, which is great. And, and, and I really look forward to, 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 to seeing, you know, what comes of that. Um, hopefully it's positive. Uh, you know, even if it's not necessarily an end to the strike, I, I just genuinely hope that that strike yeah. in the right direction. Um, yeah. Because to you know, to kind of take it back to to, to Quantum Leap and, and some of the stuff that we we kicked off with, I want to be able to talk about season two in such a way that is getting hyped for the fact that these folks are getting back to work to finish yeah. season two, you that know, be to great. be able to to do to to make those 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 other five or six episodes, um, um, to 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 get you know the extra episodes added to to the count right. maybe like they did. For That's season the ultimate one. goal. Yeah, yeah. Extend um, the season. Um, and it might, you know, it might not happen this season because of these circumstances, right. but to at least make an impact enough to get, to get that third season. I mean, let's, yeah. let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I, I hope so too. And it really, it's, it's again, I'm to be clear for everybody. This is not, this is not something the writers are doing. This is not something the actors are doing. This is not, you know, there are a lot of folks around just saying a lot of very ignorant statements, clearly not understanding the situation and the position that a lot of these professionals are in. Um, the studios have not been willing to negotiate. Yeah. Um, in good faith. So, um, fingers crossed that, that the posturing ends here soon and there can be an actual negotiation, which I'm sure there will be compromises. And I think, you know, every, everybody should be willing to do that on both sides. But at the end of the day, um, the studio is still going to make a ton of money. Um, and I think all, all these folks want is their fair share. So let's, let's hope yeah. that it happens and let's hope that we get another one of these. Yes. Uh, and, um, I, you know, I just think that like, um, I, you guys should do, uh, like a special feature disc as like a supplemental yeah. special feature disc for this guy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, make the call. Yeah, there you go. Right. Uh, no, I, I agree. And I, you know, I'm so excited about, about season two and the prospect of things, you know, being different and, and, and trying some new things and really, you know, the, the, what we have heard and and, and what we've stated before in here is that they just really want to push the boundaries of what this show can be and, and to, and, and to really take hold of it. Because as we've mentioned before, you know, in season one, there were aspects of the story and, and aspects of the show that were kind of in place before the team that is now, you know, kind of running the show got there. And so they, they inherited some of that stuff. And I think that they did a remarkable job with it, but it's, it's one thing to be able to, you know, tell a great story with other people's ideas. It's entirely different when you get to tell the story with your ideas. And so I cannot wait, you know, to, to see what season two is going to look like. I'm Um, very excited. I have a feeling it's going to be a very different show. Yes. than it was from season one. Um, just from the little bit that, that I've seen and, and heard, I think it's going to be a very different show in, in a very good way. Um, and so, and I'm all up, you know, full disclosure. I like liking things like it's <laughs> <laughs> not a super popular opinion these days. Um, yeah. but I, I like liking things. I like enjoying, I, I like, I like uh, allowing a story to, to unravel in front of us. And I know that we're all so smart and we're all expert writers and directors and performers. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but, um, I, I feel like, I think a lot of people who are passionate about the arts and passionate about acting and filmmaking and, and theater and things like that, you go through a phase where it's very difficult to not look at a piece of media and be like, well, I would have mm-hmm. dot, dot, dot. I think that's natural. And I don't think that's something that, that you should shame someone for thinking, but I do think there needs to be an evolution for folks who really are passionate about the art form, uh, where they can take their preconceptions, set them aside and accept what's being told to them and given to them on its own terms. Absolutely. Um, and and I'll, and I'll say this, you know, if you find yourself not connecting with a lot of the media that you are watching, then it might be time to try to make your own and try to put something out there in the world that you want to see. Um, Absolutely. 
And, you know, and I think that that, that's a good motivator. If, if there, if there are stories that you think should be told that you're not seeing out there, then maybe you should be the one that's putting them out there. And I'm not just talking about TV or movies. I'm talking about comic books. I'm talking about artwork. I'm talking about music. I'm talking about any creative endeavor. Um, we have all of these tools at our disposal, all these digital tools, and we have all of these ways to connect with people all around the world. There has been a flattening of opportunity to a very big extent in the arts. Um, and it's something that we can take advantage of. I mean, that's the reason why you and I are here. I mean, we have, we have earned our stripes, you know, communicating with people in this way, people that we never really meet face to face. <laughs> um, and, and there's a lot of power in that. And that if you can leverage that, um, you, you can have a lot of success. And so, I, you know, I guess I just, you know, because I do so much artwork for these different really passionate fandoms, I just see a lot of frustration in these fandoms and I'm just like, take a step back. And, you know, if, <laughs> if you're not liking what you're seeing, make something yourself. And I think that's good. Spin it into something positive and something that is proactive as opposed to reactionary. And, um, but you know, again, this is just my, <laughs> that's my two cents. Um, Anyway. I love it. I love it. I think I, I think it's worth a million bucks, and I, I I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, and it's one of those things that I think maybe I've learned along the way and of earning those stripes that you're talking about. I think that's just the perfect note for us to end on for tonight. Hey. And I and I, I I just I love so much about everything that you just said, and um, I love having you on the show. You're brilliant. And, and you bring so much to the table. And uh, I, I want to do this again. I want us to be able to talk about all the things that we didn't get to talk about. <laughs> um, I want to I know what your favorite uh, episode of Strange New Worlds is. I want to know, uh, um, you know, I want to know what your favorite season of, of Doctor Who is back there. I want to talk about that Ace McDuck uh, sitting on the shelf. Um, yes. Well, <laughs> man, gosh, there's so much we can talk about. Um, I will say that I, I, I love... I'm, I'm a big Tom Baker fan. So yeah. I'll just put that out there right there. Tom, Tom Baker is one of my favorite classic doctors. So seasons yeah. 12 and 14 are, they're up there. Yeah. Um, they're definitely up there. I want to know, I mean, know your favorite Doctor Who season before we go. It's, you know, it, it is really tough. I'm probably going to agree with you. Uh, I have a, I have a huge soft spot in my heart for John Pertwee as well. I, I, I love the third oh, doctor. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, doctor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I yeah, love I, that. I love that first season of his, um, yes. um, uh, with, with Liz Shaw. I, I, well, I, one of my, it's funny cause as much as I love Joe Grant, especially like her last season, mm-hmm. um, I wish that Liz would have gotten, you know, at least two seasons with the doctor instead of just the one. Yeah. There, there was a, a little bit more, uh, friction there i think yeah and and, um and i love joe too actually my i won't pull it out but i I was able to get one of my sets signed by by the actress oh katie manning that's awesome yes katie manning and she signed it uh it's bigger on the inside (laughs) um which is which is cool but yeah i'm i'm with you and i i like those earthbound episodes i love the the um holmes moriarty sort of spin that they take with the master yes. and there's a lot of fun creature stuff. And like, I feel like that the show was really, the show was humming on a really unique level. And I feel like when you get into the later, uh, third doctor era, 
you're getting some more of the intergalactic stuff, but it's still really cool. And then you get to Tom Baker and I feel like it, it's, it's just like that, um, that era, the, the, and again, like the writers behind the show at that time. Yes. Oh my gosh. Operating on a really fun, uh, really sharp level, um, for the show. And, uh, okay. Listen, we, this is going to become a doctor who podcast if we're not, I'm okay with that. Uh, (laughs) But no, I I completely agree with that. And that is one of the things to try to, you know, to tie everything together that, uh, that physical media, I think represents, especially when it's done well, it's this opportunity to connect with shows and learn about shows and experience shows in ways that would have never been possible when they originally aired because the special features on those Doctor Who sets and the new ones, the updated ones as well, uh, the behind the couch stuff is so much fun. And so cool. You're yeah. hearing from these people, and it's one of the things too that I love about that uh, about those features because you're hearing from these people that, in some cases, literally helped to create the medium. You know, you're hearing from people that were there, you, you know, in the early '50s when TV was just figuring out what it was, and then they worked on this show in the '70s, and they're able to bring to bear all of this experience that they have, and it is yeah. it's it's wondrous, it's magic. And, yeah, and I love how blasé they are about it too. Yeah, they're well, they're all British. Right. And they're all just like, well, we did, you know, this is how we did it. And then, uh, it seemed like a good idea. And then, uh, you know, and then that was Genesis of the Daleks. So yeah, right. right. Okay. <laughs> One of the greatest, you know, televised science fiction stories of all time. And yeah, we just, you know, we did this thing. Uh, and I love sometimes the way that they'll talk about the actors and, 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 uh, I think it was, um, oh it might've been, oh, I can't remember exactly who it was, but they were talking about Tom Baker and Tom was having kind of a bad day and, you know, they were just sort of like, and so I, you know, I, I pulled them aside and I was like, now, now dear Tom, you know, we, we, we have to get through this scene and, you know, and it's just sort of like this unassuming approach to it. And, and you could just imagine like, you know, this, all curls and teeth you know six seven foot. feet tall yeah oh, right exactly <laughs> uh, so it's yeah, flying I, in the wind behind him yes right right be kind of pulled pulled down to earth a little bit by this you know five yes. nine bespectacled bespectacled director but yes. uh I, I love, yeah, I just, I, I love the fact that we get to learn about it in that, in that respect. And it's one of the things too, that I love about like the Twilight Zone, you know, Blu-ray, that the, the, there's so much content on there. I mean, there's an audio commentary for, I think every single episode. Yeah. Those were, and again, like that, those were, um, originally created for the DVD versions. So that's like go- golden era, mm-hmm. uh, DVD release. Like when they were just like, we're going to put everything in the kitchen sick into this and have every single feature we could think of, get in contact with every single production person that we can do commentaries, documentaries, the whole shebang, because there were, there were people that were in charge of producing that stuff. Yeah. And that's the way that these sets still work. There is a production team that is in charge of every single one of these box sets that are creating special features and coordinating with the actors and doing commentaries um, if you invest in a team to do this kind of stuff, they can create really extraordinary things, archival level things. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. That, that, I, that is the perfect word because the thing that is so important and it's true of that Twilight Zone set, it's true of the Doctor Who set, unfortunately, is that these people aren't going to be around forever. Right. And I think about like Terrence Dix, for instance, who, who passed mm-hmm. away uh, uh, a little over a year ago, I believe. Um you know, here's someone that contributed so much to the fabric of that show. And we are so fortunate 
that people took the time and care to put together these features, you know, these archival features, because we can hear from him. We can hear right. his voice. We can summon his voice, you know, from beyond right. basically to tell us these stories about the production of this art and the way yeah. that it was made. And it's the same thing with the Twilight Zone set. There are commentaries with actors who, have, who are no longer with us that were Absolutely. produced, you know, like you said, for those DVDs in, in the late nineties and early two thousands when they were alive. And, and, right. and it's, it's amazing. There's a, there's a, um, Oh gosh, now I can't remember which film it is. I think it might be Broken Arrow, but I could be wrong. There's a Jimmy Stewart film. Oh, it's Winchester 73. There's a Jimmy Stewart right. film and it's not advertised on the DVD, which is mind-boggling to me. And it has an audio commentary with Jimmy Stewart on there. Really? And, yeah, and it's like this is incredible. Like the, the I don't know if it was produced for the laser. I think maybe it was produced for the laser disc and it was ported over to the DVD. It's not listed as a feature on the back of the DVD, but you put the disc in and you go to the audio tracks, it's there. And it's like this is incredible that this I exists. If that was an oversight. Yeah, well, as, you as never in, know. <laughs> not not an oversight that they didn't list it, an oversight that it was on there. That they, yeah, that um, they didn't even realize it was there. Right. <laughs> I uh, can see that. That's, but yeah. that's yeah. You're absolutely right. It's so cool, and um, but of course that's the frustration too with uh, stuff going out of print. Um, mm -hmm. You know. With, with the stuff not getting ported over to the to the next thing, and of course, imagine if these streaming services embraced archival content, yes. embraced special features, and how easy it would be to do mm -hmm. to have multiple soundtracks, commentaries, to have extras, documentaries. Um, and I think in a perfect world, uh, at some point these studios realize that it might be in their best interest to invest in the mythology of their own work. Yeah. Um, because there is something to be said, even from a business standpoint of taking what you're doing so seriously that it's worth journaling and, and, and saying, Hey, a public who, who are streaming this movie, we think it's worthwhile to put this here as well if you were interested in learning about it and they're also going to stream the movie again, if they listen to it with the commentary. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, so. that's the thing about, you know, criterion, uh, they have the criterion channel and it's just a wonderful example of the, the possibilities because yeah. Yeah, so many absolutely. of those films have those special features. Godzilla, for instance, you know, which both of us were talking yeah. about earlier, that's behind us. You know, the, the, the Godzilla film is on, the Criterion channel right now, you can go and you can stream it. And then after you stream it, you can listen to an audio commentary. You can watch, you know, multiple documentaries, subtitled documentaries with interviews with the, the, the Japanese actors who were in these films. And, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's wonderful. And, and, and to be able to, the, the mythology, like you said, to, to indulge in this myth-making, this romanticism that is filmmaking, this magic mm -hmm. that exists, these flickering, you know, lights and sounds in front of us. And I think that, it's something that has been lost and it's so mercenary these days. It, you know, we spent time talking about dollars and cents basically. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's fine. I think it's a great conversation to have, but I would much rather spend time talking about these other things, you know, that we've been able to talk about Absolutely. the artistry, what yeah. moves us. Um, right. And I and think it, that there's conversations yeah. that are not being had at these higher levels about that. They're not worried about what moves people. They're right. worried about what moves the bank account, you know, and, 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 and everybody's got to eat, but think, there's well, more yes. to it. Yeah. But, but, but shouldn't there be 
some sort of understanding or trust that the things that, that moves people will be profitable. Mm. Yes. Um, and I just feel like that's not even part of the conversation. I want, I want to say one thing about the Criterion channel, because I think that's a really good example of yeah. something else that we were talking about, because they've got, you know, incredible slate of movies constantly being updated, things going away, but then oft, oftentimes coming back, special features, all this stuff. But the other thing that that service has that I, I can't think of any other streaming service that has is programming. Yeah. Not content. It has programming. Mm-hmm. So what they'll do is they, they will come up with, they'll have Saturday matinees. Here, here are two films that we think would play well together. Here's a short and a feature that we think would play well together. They have, um, you know, they have f- filmmakers commenting on other films or putting together lists of films that have had an impact on their filmmaking journey. And so in a, in a world where we have every single opportunity to watch so many things that are thrown at us and no guidance, something that this streaming service is trying to do is to guide us a little bit and say, yeah. Hey, try this, try this combination. Listen to this. Look how these things connect and just giving you a little bit of expertise and programming about, you know, to try to get, get you a better experience. It's like a whole other dimension of the service. And I'll point to, I don't know if you can see it on your end, but I have, the uh, colossal Ingmar Bergman um, yes. Criterion set. Yeah. And what's unique about that set is that it's got almost his entire theatrical filmography included with just a couple of exceptions. Yep. But when you open it up, it's not chronological. It's mm-hmm. not alphabetical. It, that entire set is built as a film festival. Yeah. For you to be introduced to his work, to his themes, to a lot of the recurring motifs and character types from the beginning to the end of his filmography in a programmed way where someone who knows a lot about the filmmaker and his history said, try this, try experiencing his filmography, not chronologically, but thematically, and we will guide you. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other level of, 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 uh, of, you know, media experience that seems to be missing from our current glut of, of options. Yeah. It it reminds me too, you know, and this is a service that no longer exists, unfortunately, but when DCU uh, first came out, that was one of the things that they did so well is that, you know, and, and I think that they, they missed the mark a little bit at first and ruffled some feathers because they intended the entire collection to be curated, even the comic yeah. books. And people were like, no, we've got Marvel Unlimited where they give us everything. Why won't you give us everything? And so eventually they did. Um, but the idea behind the service originally was going to be we are going to pair content up take you on these journeys. You mm-hmm. know, you're going to have this episode of our DC daily show talking about, you know, crisis on infinite earth. And then you can go and read the comic book after that, or yeah. we're going to have this episode talking about, um, you know, Lois and Clark. And now you can go watch, you know, this, or, you, you know, the, the, these documentaries and these, and these things that they paired up with the content so well, much like you're talking mm-hmm. about with criterion. And it's so sad because I really enjoyed that service. And yeah. then they just, they yanked it away and sure you can find all of the shows and movies that that service had on HBO max mm-hmm. now. And yeah, you can read all the comic books on, you know, DC infinite or, or whatever it's called these days, but 
you can't get the same experience with some, I mean, some of those documentaries and DC daily, like that's just gone. It's just gone. And, the and it's is gone. That, yes. That's, that's what they were trying to, to give you. Yeah. But in a world where everybody thinks they're an expert, it's like, why are you trying to tell me anything? Like, right. what is this? Just give me all the stuff and I'll get to it eventually. Probably maybe. Yeah. But I want it now. Um, <laughs> so it's it, unfortunate. It's um, like when I was in when I was in Galena uh, for this little mini vacation that we took a couple months ago. It would have been like walking into Ulysses S. Grant's house and walking around, looking at everything, and then walking out. Yeah, I was in there and I saw everything, but without the the guided tour, without the museum director telling us some of these stories, I never would have known the intricacies of like, you know, Mrs. Grant brought this back from Japan on their trip, you know, or, or, you know, he was given this by the townspeople when he returned after the war. And, you know, you never would have gotten all these little bits and pieces of the, the, the nuance. I would have seen those items, you know, I would have seen the pictures, the paintings, I would have seen that stuff, but I wouldn't have been able to understand it without yeah. having a little bit of assistance along the way, without having that expertise. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame because I, I think it's one of the reasons, too, why the level of appreciation for certain types of films has not grown the way that it could. Um, mm. In particular, like with foreign films, you mentioned Bergman, the Fellini box set that's behind you as well. Like those films are luckily, I, I, I think they're recognizable enough to to a certain portion of the community that there's a window in for people that might not necessarily have seen them before or experienced them right. before, yeah. experienced those filmmakers and those directors. But there's also not necessarily the level of connection being made with like HBO Max. Like HBO Max could be this wonderful, they could have this wonderful stewardship of these classic Warner Brothers films that they have, these these classic foreign films that they have on their service. And instead, like you said, it's just like here it is, and that's all you got. Well, you know, they used to have that. They had an they had an app that was uh what in the world was it called? I'm forgetting. But they had an app that they did in collaboration with with Janice and the Criterion collection. Oh, what they, was it? Filmstruck. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you know when the merger was announced with Discovery. Yep. And you know we got we got the Criterion app, which is great the, right. that service, but it also really took out a lot of the films that they had access to. Unfortunately, a lot of the the uh, yeah. studio, you know, Warner Brothers uh, and RKO uh, studio era films that they now have to license separately. So right. again. You know, the more we talk, we just end up talking about this I know. ridiculous <laughs> because because it's entrenched in it because because you have to be an expert on, you know, like streaming rights to understand why anything happens. Like, why do I not have it? Why can't I watch this movie right now? Right. Like, Why could I watch it last month and I can't watch it this month? And then next year, why is it on this thing? And it's just like, but, you know, we're just expected to. You know, this is just how it happens. It's just go, just keep giving it, us your money every month and we'll decide. And not in a curated way, not in a way where they're trying to do what we've been talking about, where they're like, we think this would be a really good pairing here. We want to tell you about this. Here's a commentary about this. Learn about this. It's here's the stuff we paid for this month. Enjoy. Right. We're taking this stuff off next month. 
you've taken away that level of collaboration between artists and, and audience. And, and, and I think that there's this, there's this gift, there's this, um, this share that needs to happen. And instead of it feeling like, look, I'm going to share this with you, you know, at one point this was shared with me, you know, it's like my grandfather introduced me to Casablanca for these reasons. Now I'm going to introduce it to you for these reasons. And that's a very kind of pedestrian way of putting it. But I do think that that, that value, you know, that exchange, um, has exactly what you said. It's become about you paid us your dollars. So here, here, watch this as opposed to being able to have that. And, you know, Turner classic movies, luckily they still do like the introductions and the outros and they still do those, you know, uh, well, right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, yeah. So it's so strange. It's so strange to me. Um, that it's not valued more because there's money to be made. I know. You just, I think it's a question of knowing how, how that money can be made and being willing to make an investment. Yes. Right. Because, you know, when we're in a system and we've been in the system for a long time, I just think it's becoming so apparent because we've been in it for this long where every quarter needs to be bigger than the last where profits need to double annually, 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 annually. It, you, can't, you can't run the world like that forever. Right. <laughs> There's only so much money to go around. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that there has been these crazy expectations, especially as these companies continue to eat themselves and become these bigger and bigger entities to have bigger, bigger profits. And you can't, you can't demand bigger profits every quarter while you are cutting corners every quarter. And part of the ways that you're cutting corners is that you're paying people less. I mean, it's again, it's just like, I think we're going to look back at this era. I remember when I was a kid, I promise you're going to have to cut that. We should end there and move it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but I remember when I was a kid and you know, you're in school and you're learning about us history and you're learning the U S presidents and things like that. And I remember thinking when I was a kid, like, well, I know, you know, Lincoln, and then I know like Theodore Roosevelt and, but I, there's this large, uh, span of us history in the late 1800s where it's like, who are these guys? Like, who are these presidents? And I remember learning when I was a kid, it's like, well, this era of the United States was known as the Gilded Age and you know, the power and, and, the, and the names that we remember from this age aren't the presidents, but there are people like Rockefeller. Yeah. There are people like Frick and Carnegie. They were the the magnates, the power brokers. And I the more and more I think about it, I'm like, man, are we is this just a second gilded age that we're like when we look back on this where mm. we have these conglomerates that are getting bigger and bigger and just eating up more and more and more and uh at what point does it end? So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. That's a really negative note to <laughs> <laughs> well no, you know what here's here's where i'll spin that though because okay. i think that the nice thing the 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 positive way to look at it right now is that there are still wonderful shows being made and there are still wonderful pieces of art out there and it's clear that the talent exists that the heart the passion exists to make stuff that will connect with people and these engines of empathy, um, you know, these engines of creativity will, will always be there. It's just the patronage 
which is something we talked about beforehand, mm-hmm. needs to be there as well to match it. Yeah. And I think that the corporations are learning by way of the strikes, by way of the conversations that are happening. I mean, you listen to, you know, Bob Iger's 180 recently, for instance. Yeah. I'm that. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. I know. And I think the other thing that's happening is that they are realizing that their survival does not depend on new subscribers. It does not depend on delivering content. It does depend on the artists and the art that they create. And rather than find themselves in situations where they're no longer able to support that and they're no longer able to turn that dollar, they're going to have to find new ways to kind of innovate and support that art. And I know I've heard things about, you know, um, games streaming being a part of the, 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 the future for some of these companies that sports will take a bigger, a bigger seat and everything. And I think that that's a, that's a bit of a jaded and cynical way to look at it because I still think that the art will form the backbone of all of these services and the viability of the services will have to do with their commitment to making sure that that art gets made and that the artists are indeed treated fairly. And when you see the stuff that Apple TV is doing or that Amazon Prime is doing, it's clear that these companies don't need any of this. But mm-hmm. Apple TV is still making a Ted Lasso. You know, Amazon Prime is still making a Mrs. Maisel. Like, mm-hmm. it's clear that the art is there. Yeah. And if these companies that don't need that art are able to tap into that, then the companies that have always existed based off of that art need to start doing the same thing. I think that's a good way to think of it. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So since we did, since we did do all of this, I'm just going to ask you real quick. I, I, I want to know what is your favorite episode of strange new worlds currently? I know it can change. Oh, um, I know you have, you haven't seen this episode yet. I haven't. Yeah. But I just was going to say the second to the last episode of season two is the musical. Episode. Yes. Yeah. And are you a fan of musicals? Uh, you know, Yes and no. If it's okay. a good musical, yes. A lot of earworms in that episode. So oh, I will. Good. So you know, I'm a, I'm a um, you know theater person uh, from college, and so that that was singular. It was a real swing, and I really liked what they did with it. I thought that was incredibly creative. Um, and so maybe that one. What okay. what I'm gonna my way of not answering your question is this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This this season in particular of the show, the thing that I've liked about it the most is its diversity. Mm. Um, and, you know, Star Trek has always been about diversity. But yes. this season in particular has had such diversity of storytelling. Um, and it's that diversity of storytelling that has made it such a delight to design episode posters for the show. Because you can take it in so many different directions and tones and flavors, and there's there's musicals, there's comedies, it's, there's farces, there's uh, there's you know a- action, dramas, uh, romance, uh, um, uh, horror. It, it goes everywhere, yeah. and in the span of of a short ten episode run. So I you know kudos to the production team, and you know they create a, a heck of a season of television, and so. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say I really enjoyed last week's episode, but then I really enjoyed the finale, but I can't talk about this stuff with you because <laughs> you're not caught up. Okay. 
So when right. you watch the rest of season two, we'll really talk about it. How okay, good. Sound? Let's okay. do that. Let's do it. Right. I would love to do that because I agree so much with everything that you said. And I, you know, and I will even say that I felt season one did was able to do the same thing, you know, with the, with yeah, the, I'm not, the not to take anything away from season one. It's just been, you know, when your season has a musical episode and right. when your season has a crossover with a cartoon, yes. um, it's like, whoa, you guys really swing for the fen- fences. And as far as I'm concerned, home run, like yeah. th- they did it in both of those cases. Well, I will, I will endeavor to finish as soon as possible. Uh, just so I can uh, get you on the show again, so we can talk more because I love this. And Great. I will uh, not I'm... appear on the show again <laughs> until you've completed Strange New World season two. All right. Or well, you, be be careful what you wish for. I'll be like, you know, hit you up tomorrow and just be like, JJ, I'm done. Uh, no, you let me know <laughs> if I can because I know you and I, you and I you and I gab. We'll just go on and on and on. So if I can set the time aside, you let me know. I'm good with right. coming on sooner rather than later. That sounds awesome. I I really appreciate it. I love this. I, I, I again, I, I just think that you're brilliant. I love I love your thoughts about the the state of the business, physical media, uh, and and art. Obviously, you know, it, it's funny. I feel like our last conversation was so focused on art, and so it's actually kind of nice to complement that conversation with a little bit more discussion about the business side of it. Because you know, that's one of the things that they sometimes fail to teach you in in, in undergrad is that it's a business. You know, and and, yeah. and you got, and you got to know how to you know to to work that part of it. Um, but, uh, but it's always a pleasure and, uh, I urge everyone to go, uh, to jjlindle.com and, and check out, uh, the art, um, and, 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 uh, tell them again about, uh, what you've got going from now until the 18th. Now until the 18th, strange new worlds inspired episode posters for seasons one and two, um, available in two sizes, uh, uh, 11 by 14 and uh, 17 by 22. So if you're trying to save on some wall space, you can get the smaller size. And if you've got a, a mansion that needs some decorations, <laughs> you can go for the large size. Um, but I really hope, you know, I, I just, um, I hope that people have a chance to check out the shop over the next week, pick up the prints that the, that they want. Cause I, I don't plan on making these available again. Um, so it's just a limited time deal. And uh, thanks everyone listening who, uh, who had kind words to say throughout the season of Star Trek about the work it means the world to me. You know, these are always passion projects for me and just to see it connect with fellow fans. It, it's a, uh, it's a really wonderful feeling. So thank you. Uh, I'm so glad to hear that though. It's well-deserved, well-earned. Um, obviously, you know, listeners, if you're interested in any of the quantum leap uh, work as well, that is uh, available. Um, yeah. I, I, Those aren't going anywhere. The MIA poster is just, I mean, when you revealed that, I, you know, last time when we were, when we were right. on the show, that was right. just, I, 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 yeah. I mean, even framing it and putting it up on the wall, I got a little emotional because it's just such a beautiful piece and uh, I love you. your work. And uh, again, I, I love being able to chat and just bring so much to the table. So uh, I hope that listeners will, will head over and check out uh, all the art that you have currently available, including, of course, the limited time only release for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And that is not only season two, but that's season one and two. Lots of great stuff there. Um, JJ, you're welcome anytime. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Sam. So there you have it. Uh, the Fates Wide Wheel interview with JJ Lindell. Uh, number two 
uh, in what I hope will be a continuing series of conversations that JJ and I will get to have. Um, certainly want to catch up with him about Star Trek Strange New Worlds as soon as I get caught up. Um, still a few episodes behind, but I'm really looking forward to uh, to finishing season two. I've really enjoyed uh, the journey um, every step of the way. It, it's been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it's it. it I'm not going to sit here and say like it's all five stars or whatever, but at the same time, as long as I get to enjoy it and have fun with it, that's really all that matters. Um, and I'm also, uh, per uh, JJ's suggestion, really looking forward to checking out Star Trek Prodigy, which has been a bit of a blind spot for me um, recently, just because you know time and such. And now that it's been yanked from Paramount Plus, um, you know, I'm kicking myself for not having done it earlier. But that's okay because, of course, there are the Blu-rays, and uh, you all know from the conversation that we just had how much I love physical media. Um, um, speaking of physical media, actually, I just got something today and I am super excited about Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, the motion picture, 50th anniversary edition. It's the Blu-ray of the entire concert, as well as a two-disc CD set of the entire concert as well. If you're not familiar with that, um, you should definitely get familiar. It's a pretty incredible piece of art in its own right. And uh, anyone who you know has been listening for a while knows how much I love David Bowie. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to popping that in at some point. Um, as far as what's next, uh, I really, really hope to be bringing you uh, the first part of... Uh, sort of a series that I want to do on the Twilight Zone. It's going to be a little bit different um, from what I normally do, a little bit more structured, a little bit more scripted. Um, I also want to dive into Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and of course, I want to hit on the Incredible Hulk, because that seemed to be something that uh, a lot of listeners um, were interested in as well. Um, also had some wonderful ideas from listeners about covering sort of um, a multitude of shows that have to do with that lone protagonist, which is something that I talked about in the previous episode and, you know, shows like the fugitive and have gun will travel and, and that sort of thing that helped to kind of set the model for, you know, for shows like the incredible Hulk and Knight Rider and, you know, and eventually even quantum leap in a lot of ways. So, um, We'll see exactly what form those take, but I'm hoping to get uh, at least the first one uh, of one of those subjects out within the next week or two. Um, and I certainly want to be bringing you, you know, more uh, uh, stuff just in general. Um, so, you know, keep your eyes peeled on all the social medias. Again, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, threads, excuse me. X, uh, threads, TikTok, uh, all of the above. And, and you can find out what's coming next. Um, Things are, you know, looking somewhat encouraging as day 100 of the WGA strike has hit. Uh, I know that there are going to be negotiations that are going back to the table. So we'll get to uh, hopefully hear some positive news from that. Even if things aren't resolved, hopefully they, they head in the right direction. Um, we shall see. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we're able to get, uh, get back to work. I mean, not, not we, not, not me. I don't have anything to do with it, but hopefully they are able to get back to work. Um, and, and we can all celebrate that moment. Um, and, and, and realize just what a victory it is, not only for, uh, for the fans, but, but also of course, for the writers and the actors, um, who, who deserve that fair compensation and fair treatment just in general. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I've, I've heard all sorts of speculation, um, from, you know, maybe things will clear up soon to, you know, we're looking at November 
potentially next year before we hear anything. But uh, I certainly hope it's sooner than that so that uh, they can return to production on Quantum Leap Season 2. That would be great. Um, and again, I don't say that from like a selfish like fan, like, you know, where's my show sort of thing. I just want them to be able to work and do what they love to do. Um, so we'll, we'll see and certainly, uh, you know, keep an eye on our social media and uh, on the podcast because I'll try to give you any updates that I possibly can from any information I glean. And the information's out there. You know, if you're following like uh, Deadline, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, and, you know, myriad of other uh, sites, you, you'll see it, you know, if you're following people on social media, especially like, a, you know, the Writers Guild uh, uh, social media pages or, or, or SAG after social media pages, stuff like that, you, you know, you'll see stuff um, out there. So um, I certainly don't want to act like I'm any kind of authority by any means, but I'm happy to kind of bring some of that together, try and synthesize it and distill it down uh, uh, for listeners as best I can. And if you know something, you know, if you have uh, thoughts or, or opinions, feel free to share them with me. Um, I'm happy to, uh, you know, to have that conversation, further that conversation, whether it's done on social media or whether, you know, you come on the show and we get to do it here. Um, in the meantime, as far as, you know, supporting the show, uh, like, subscribe, um, you know, all that sort of jazz obviously helps us out a great deal. Um, you know, share uh, our stuff on social media if you get the chance to. Uh, and, and of course, um, there is that, that other way of doing things, um, which it just kind of surprises me to no end um, that folks are out there supporting the show financially. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, it means a lot that uh, people are, are doing that. Um, as always, of course, uh, look to your local charities, look to the local causes that you can support uh, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, and uh, at the world at large. Of course, I will always, always talk about the Trevor Project. I will always talk about Doctors Without Borders, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, um, and ACP, uh, ACLU. I mean, there's multiple uh, causes that, uh, you know, we can be donating to and, and helping to further causes that are important. And uh, hopefully we'll try to make the world a better place, set some things right that are going wrong in the world. If, however, after all of that, you still uh, want to give to Fate's Wide Wheel, um, we welcome it and we really appreciate it. We have a Patreon. We have a Buy Me a Cup of Coffee. You can find those links down below. Um, or if you're listening, they will also be in the show notes. For those of you that already do that, thank you so very much. It has been a weird time over the past few months as we've navigated the strikes, uh, how you know to best uh, stay connected and, and how to best uh, produce this podcast and, and, and get things out there. Uh, you know, what am I going to talk about um, sort of thing? I cannot tell you what it means to me that so many of you um, are, are still standing by us and supporting us. It means uh, a lot. It means a lot. So thank you so very much to Al's Place Leap Fan Site, Bourbon and Board Games, Carolyn Cosplay, Dad, Joanne Bartlett, Dana Bias, Rich Bork, Kevin, Carol Davis, Stan Tuig, Dex Lower, Dermot Devlin, Barry Donovan, Brian Dreadful, Troy Evers, Larry Ganey, Jason Geis, Kelly M., Michelle Hoffman, Amy Holtkamp, Lori Johnson, Bess A. Corey, Lady Eternal, Rob Nunn, oddly specific with Audra, Christopher Redman, Adrian Sal, Karen Saxon, Jerry Seward, Mike Stouffer, Heather Strabiak, Damon Sugamelli, Larry Trujillo, Stuart Williams, Jill Wilson, our anonymous patrons. And uh, as always, you know, thank you to uh, our loved ones uh, who also bear some of this burden on occasion. Um, and again, you can become a patron or donor yourself uh, by visiting Fate's Wide Wheel on Patreon or Fate's Wide Wheel over on Buy Me a Coffee. Um, please reach out again. Um, you know, find uh, find Fate's Wide Wheel on uh, Instagram, X, Threads, Facebook, uh, TikTok, uh, any of those. 
platforms and, and more, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, and reach out, send us an email over at fateswidewheelpodcast at gmail.com. Um, would love to continue the conversation on any of those avenues. Uh, or of course, just leave a comment below if you're on YouTube. Um, and uh, I will certainly try to get back to you uh, as soon as possible on that. Uh, you can also, of course, find the earlier interview with JJ Lindell uh, through our uh, podcast archives, which are open and free to everyone. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. Or of course, uh, I believe the video version is also on YouTube. Um, that's it for me. It's time to leap out of here. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Stay safe out there. Thank you so very much. And always, always leap responsibly. Yeah,